right, this morning uh, I've entitled this uh, sermon, The Faithful Enter the Rest. The Faithful. And I'm reading, let me read this section from Hebrews 4. And I'll read uh, verses uh, 1 to 11. Therefore let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David after so long a time, just as he had been said just has been said before today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if joshua had given them rest he would not have spoken of another day after that so there remains a sabbath rest for the people of god for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as god did from his Therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And so the picture is that God worked and then on the seventh day and the seventh day is the purpose of creation. He rested. As we talked last time, it doesn't mean that God ceased activity, but he started, you know, he ceased one kind of activity, the activity of creation to begin the activity of Redemption, historical redemption. And the idea here is that as we enter into this redemptive work, this redemptive activity of God, the seventh day activity, that we too find rest. We cease one kind of labor. Uh, and this labor is, we might describe as hard toil, unrest, futility, fear. The writer's going to describe it as dying in the wilderness. It's connected to disobedience, unfaithfulness, hardness of heart. In Paul's description, he describes it as alienation from the self and from God. Uh, We're uh, in some way end our life, Paul says, in an agonistic struggle. It's a struggle to the death. It's both the writer of Hebrews and Paul describe it, this unrest, this work, as slavery to fear that's uh, the you know the desire of the self outside of Christ in all of this there is a time element and that's the interesting thing we began talking about this week uh, it describes the time element obviously the Sabbath the uh, you know today the now And the negative time aspect is that in some way we can't grasp it. We fall short. There's an incapacity to enter in, uh, to get a grip. And so the the resolution is that we take up the work of redemption. And this then is connected to 
uh, the last time, the time element. It's a future, I described it last week as a future anterior perspective, which is actually a, a word that comes from psychoanalysis, but I think it's a psychoanalytic term that t- comes right from the Bible. That is that it's a different future hope is included in this. And that's the idea. We're going to talk about faith and hope. And our faith and our hope realigns our past. That is, people who are sick, people who are stuck in futility, people who are uh, trying to attain rest in some way on their own, they can't escape their past. And what's being described is a new realignment of the past on the basis of the future so that we have a different present. We can live differently, free of fear, free of futility, free of angst and worry, free of alienation. Um, And uh, we can do this through two things. And this sounds too simple. You know, he'll say, oh, he's, he's using those religious words now. But let me explain the religious terms. They are religious terms, faith and hope. But faith and hope, if we can define them, I think describe why it is we can enter in to this Sabbath rest. He says those who do not combine, you know, their understanding with faith, they do not enter in to that rest. And he points out the faithfulness of Christ. So when we say the word faith, It has a very particular content. It's the faith or the faithfulness of Christ. Christ mediates to us this faithfulness. And it's our participation in this faithfulness of Christ. So already, you know, I've changed up the word, but I'm being true to the Greek here. Because the Greek idea is not some vague thing that you do in your head. Oh, I believe real intensely. But the idea of faithfulness, no, you live this out. And as you live it out, there is a participation then in the faithfulness of Christ that entails entering the rest. Uh, It's all of this, you know, from 3.1 to 4.14. He's talking about this rest, and we could talk about all of it being held together by the confession of the one who, you know, Jesus, the confession of Jesus, who was faithful. Jesus, the Son of God, and so let us hold fast the confession of faith, the writer says. And so one of the basic premises of Hebrews is that only within and by means of the confession of Jesus, and by that I think we mean the faithfulness, holding fast that confession, it means not just uh, uh, you know, religion of the tongue, but it is inclusive of our life, that we can then enter into the rest. And this is confirmed in 1023. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Here is the future perspective. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. Not forsaking our assembling. And it's interesting he brings this up at this point. Do you want to enter the rest? Do you want to escape? In some way it's going to involve the community of the saints, the assembling together. Uh, As is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The way that we attain this Sabbath rest 
is in and through the fellowship of the saints. I think that is part of it. It is in through the blessed fellowship, the, the agape love that we share. He compares two kinds of, you know, throughout he's comparing the house of Moses and the house, the true temple of God. And he says, you are that temple. Moses was faithful in his house as a servant, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, he says, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope. Faith and hope always seem to come together until the end. So faithfulness is the necessary principle to enter the rest. And Jesus, in 2.17, is the one who's described as the merciful, faithful high priest who mediates this faithfulness. That is, he's the model. But not just a model that's out there. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that, in fact, we're enabled to live out this faithfulness. And so the contrast is, well, you can do that or you can try to live it out, work it out by yourself. So the writer, uh, he's doing something very similar to what Paul does. He's going to specify, uh, you know, Paul will talk about works of the law. And the writer of Hebrews is using the language of works throughout the, the book. Uh, And I think the particular faithfulness of Christ that is connected to rest uh, is in some way there it it includes over and against the negative works that he's going to describe. In chapter 11, he'll go through extensive examples of faithfulness. And all of these died, you know, without receiving the promises, without entering into God's rest. They were faithful, but they did not have the faithfulness of Christ. Um, So there, uh, in Hebrews 3 to 4, there are those who did not enter the rest. You know, he talks about if Joshua had given them the rest, he would not have spoken of another day. For the one who has entered his rest, he says, God himself has rested from his works. So works here is, you know, there's the works of God, God creating. There's nothing negative about that. But he's also going to talk about the dead works of human consciousness. Um, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There is a work uh, that, you know, uh, he speaks of God's works in the wilderness And the author of Hebrews is going to remember God's works, you know, but we're not just going to see and remember God's works, but he shifts, we're going to listen to God's word. And this is the way that we shift up. The culmination of the work of creation is the seventh day activity of redemption. And Jesus is going to say, my father and I are both working. In Hebrews 6, 1, he says, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. Clearly, we can spend our lives working, right? And I'm not saying work is a bad thing. But if your life is devoted for, to a particular kind of work, there is a futility in this. That he's going to cleanse our conscience from dead works in order to serve the living God. So one work is replaced by another. 
God is not unjust so so as to forget, now here is the word used positively, your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. This is I, you know, this is the confusion between James and Paul. James says that faith without works is dead. And clearly the writer of Hebrews is saying, well, there's bad works. And Paul is going to talk about works of the law that are futile. And in, but they're not saying, Paul's not saying, oh, well, just take it easy, you know, don't do anything. But the idea is, no, there's works of love, there's works of redemption. Uh, he describes that you've ministered and you are still ministering to the saints. Uh, and he says, we desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. How do you do this thing? You show diligence. You show works of love. You have hope. He says, so that you will not be sluggish. That is that Christianity, discipleship, works of love, requires effort. It requires uh, diligence. But be imitators, he says, of those who through patience and faith inherit the promises. That is, you're going to keep doing. It's a, it, the works of faithfulness are one we carry out over a long period of time. The God of peace who brought you up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even our Lord Jesus equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory. This is the way he ends the book. He's ending the book that Sabbath rest today, entering, it involves uh, doing the work of Christ. So the theme of work, as the sermon progresses, continues with the call we're to move away from dead works and we're to take up good works. Just as God's work was preparatory of, for you know, creation, for his rest, and then for the faithful work, i.e. good works. So what are the good works, right? How can we do this? Well, first of all, they're works of redemption. They're works that we've said are on behalf of the community. They function to nurture and encourage that community so that all remain faithful to the end. It is one thing to carry out dead works, and it is another to serve the living God. That's the contrast. You know, this is really the contrast throughout Scripture. You can serve death, you can be oriented to death, to futility, or you can be oriented to life. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. This is the warning. That would fall away from the living God into the dead works. So the movement is the same as Christ's exhortation. You know, come and find rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. There's still a yoke, there's still a burden, but this is an easy yoke. This is an easy burden. And you will find rest for your souls. Do you want to find rest? Here it is. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So right after this in Matthew, they have the Sabbath controversy. You know, this, is, this whole thing is revolving. 
We've said the Sabbath is really the very point of creation. And the reason they're so angry with Jesus when he does work on the Sabbath is they think in some way he's changing up the meaning. And he's saying, well, no, wait a minute. Uh, I'm showing you the true meaning. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So you remember the story, the disciples, they're walking through the grain fields. They're picking the grain and rubbing it in their hand. Uh, Some translations have corn, but Larry will correct us here. I don't think they had corn uh, in Israel. Uh, I think it was some sort of maize that they must have had. Um, And when they saw this, they said, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Have you not read, he said to them, what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple took bread, or uh, uh, in the temple break the Sabbath and are, are not innocent? That is, doing the work of the Sabbath, being in the temple, and that's what he's going to describe, is that we're the temple, that he is the displacement of the temple. I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. And he says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, The Sabbath controversies then are about what's the purpose of creation? What is God doing in redemption? And Jesus is saying redemption is here. The Sabbath rest is here available. The true temple is here. The true Lamb of God is here. Right after that he goes and there's a man with a withered hand and and Jesus heals him. They question him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they wanted to accuse accuse him. And he said, what man is there among you who has a sheep? Here is the image of redemption. What Jesus is always doing on the Sabbath and the Sabbath activity is healing redemptive work. If the sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. What kind of work is Sabbath work? Doing good, the work of redemption. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. What's the work of redemption? The healing, redemptive work of Christ, the great physician, that we then are to carry out. What day is the Sabbath, by the way? It's Saturday, but in Hebrews, it's today. Right? Every day. Are we Sabbath keepers? Well, in as much as we are carrying out the work of redemption, we are Sabbath keepers. That's the wrong way to put it, I suppose. Uh, But the idea is that we've entered into a continual Sabbath day. We've entered into a period in which we are continually about the work of redemption. You know what happens in this right after this, right? The disciple or the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy them. They're, they're going to kill him because of Sabbath controversies. This is that important. And 
our commitment to do away with dead works, you know, it's the dead works, their dead works that are going to destroy him. Their commitment to the law and the emptiness they thought would provide rest. It is simply an illustration of the futility of seeking rest in dead works. Rest connotes here several things. The writer describes it as ceasing to do our own labor, to enter into the rest, and as long as we are under the law, we are committed that we're doing not the labor of God, but we're in our own labor. But now we've entered in continually into the Sabbath rest. So it's not that it's without activity, but the activity is that it's aimed at restoration, at redemption. So as Lord of the Sabbath, creation's purpose is being fulfilled in that we find restful union with God. Paul uses the term most frequently after the writer of Hebrews. Uh, He describes this rest as something that is provided by the family of God. He always uses it in the most intimate of settings. He says, I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus, Because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. They have refreshed. The the, the word there. They have given me rest. They have refreshed my spirit in yours. There are people who give us rest. We are given Sabbath rest in and through the communion of the saints. In 2 Corinthians. Besides our comfort we rejoiced even much more for the joy of Titus. And here's the word again, because his spirit has been refreshed. He's been given rest by you all. You want rest? You want refreshment of spirit? We're going to find it in the fellowship. We're going to find it through one another. God gives us good gifts, but how does he give us those good gifts? He gives them through one another, right? I get good gifts through you. We get good gifts through one another. That's what Paul's describing. The implication is of a present tense spiritual experience. Now the negative to this, the Revelation pictures continual unrest and contrasts this with rest. It says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast in his image. And I assume that is, is a kind of a present tense image too. It's not just eschatological. Whoever receives the mark of his name. And I'm not thinking of this. I, I don't think Revelation is some future event. I think he's describing present tense things. That you either have the mark of the beast or you have the mark of the Lord. And it's one of the marks is do you rest? Have you attained the Sabbath rest? In the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God, their faith in Jesus, they're going to find rest. He says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. So rest is a state of being uh, belonging to God, and it's currently available to the faithful in conjunction with faithfulness, with hope. Um, Paul uses the term to mean a a sense of spiritual peace or pleasure. 
Revelation uses it as a future state, but I think it's a future state that people are presently living out. Jesus in Matthew uses rest like Hebrews. It's a state of of being belonging to God that's currently available. We can find rest in the bosom of the Father. It's a gift that's currently available through faithfulness. I didn't know whether to use this. I'll go ahead and use this. There's these sayings of Jesus. They're not in the Bible. They're they're other sayings. So whether they're true or not true, I don't know that. But I thought some of these, they're from the dialogues of the Savior. And it has Jesus, the Lord, teaching about rest. Matthew says, uh, why do we not rest at once? And Jesus says, when you lay down these burdens, when you lay your burdens down, you will find rest. Matthew says, how do you, does the small join itself to the big? Jesus says, when you abandon the works which will not be able to follow you, then you will rest. I think it's a good saying, right? That there is a labor, there is a work that will last for eternity and in those sorts of works we find rest. Jesus implies that rest is realized in the present directly uh, and it directly affects our experience. And this then is, as the writer of Hebrews described it, is a present tense of an eschatological event, an end time event. Already the time has come, brothers, for us to abandon our labor and stand at rest. For whoever stands at rest will stand forever. So rest is pictured as a land, as a city, as a Sabbath practice, as an eschatological expectation, as an existential, a lived possibility, as a salvific state of being, redemption. Its rest is a matrix for comprehending the, our entire theological system. And this is the theme of chapters 3 and 4. To avoid unbelief, unrest, and enter into rest through faith or faithfulness. And Christ then is the faithful one over the temple, the Sabbath, you know, uh, over the house. If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end, the idea is we enter in to that rest. So faith entails holding fast. Unfaithfulness is equated with evil, rebellion uh, you know sin is deceitfulness we imagine we're going to gain something through uh, labor when our, when we in fact just gain death and it's pictured as a hardening of the heart and although rest never appears this is the last time rest will appear in the book of Hebrews uh, in 411 the theme uh, is gone but I think the entering He's going to continue to talk about entering will take place in chapter 6. He says, take hold of the hope set before you. Uh, He's going to describe, uh, you know, the uh, present sufferings are not worth comparing. Uh, Hope then, he says, he entered the holy place once for all and the image is we are to enter the holy place. In chapter 10, he says, we have confidence to enter that holy place. Let us draw near with a sincere heart. 
So the picture, you know, uh, is still, I think, of entering the holy precincts of God, of entering uh, rest. So the theme of entering that is started in 3 and 4, I think it's central to the soteriology, to the doctrine of salvation. Jesus, our high priest, has entered the inner shrine and behind the curtain and into heaven itself so that the faithful have confidence to enter the sanctuary. We can enter the Holy of Holies and attain rest. So entering rest, entering the sanctuary, entering the heavenly Jerusalem, coming to Mount Zion in chapter 10, and chapter 12, participating in uh, the, the faithfulness and gaining salvation. I think we can equate that with finding rest. Let's sing our hymn again.